We turn this evening to the book of Job. Job chapter 42. The last chapter of the book of Job. We'll read the entire chapter taking the last or taking verses 12 through 15 as our text for the sermon this evening. We hear the inspired word of God. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliaphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee, and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliaphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters, and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived in 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we take as our text verses 12 through 15. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he named the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hepa. 
and all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the previous verses of this chapter, we read of the confession that Job made at the end of his experience before God. He had been humbled by God, after which God blessed him abundantly. And part of that blessing was the gracious gift of ten more children. Job already had ten children who now were in heaven. Now God gifted Job with another seven sons and three daughters. Now while children, in a sense, can't be replaced, God gives him additional blessings from his hand. We don't know anything more about the circumstance or situation of his new family than what we have here in these verses. And there are so many questions that come up in our mind as a result. Were these children with the same wife? Or did Job marry someone else? We don't have any indication that he had a different woman. We read that he now lived another 140 years. We don't read anything again about that wife. There are a number of very striking things about this text. And if you recall, a few years ago, I preached a series through the book of Job, and I ended it at the beginning of this chapter. But the fascination of these verses continued with me and kept driving me back to look at this and to try to study it more and to try to search for an occasion, perhaps, at which it could be utilized as a sermon. And now this evening, with the confession of faith of two young women, I deem that this would be an appropriate time to bring this passage to the congregation. We don't know anything more about Job's children, which is striking. We don't know the names of the sons. All we're given is the names of these three daughters. Why? Why that? And then there's this interesting fact. We're told that these women were fair, that they were beautiful. None were found so fair. Now that in the context of the emphasis, for instance, of the book of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon on the vanity of beauty. Why would the Bible stress earthly beauty in connection with these daughters? Why does God deem that earthly beauty is so important that it's mentioned here in the last verses of the book of Job? And then why does the Holy Spirit tell us that the daughters of Job received a part of an inheritance? Later on in Israel's history, the rule was that the inheritance only would go to the sons. In extreme instances, daughters were included. And yet here we have a distinct reference to the daughters being included. We have here a distinct word to all of us, especially us as parents, but specifically also our young women. And we believe the gospel is present also here in this passage. In what way is the message of the gospel set forth here? Especially in that emphasis on the inheritance. That God gives to us an inheritance. And it's that inheritance that makes us beautiful in his eyes and causes us to stand out also in the midst of the world. We look this evening at the daughters of Job. First of all, let's see that they were a blessing to Job. We read that the Lord blessed the latter end of Job. Secondly, that they were known for their beauty. And finally, that they were included in the inheritance. So the Lord blessed, we read, the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Now, in order for us to understand the wonder of the gospel here, we need to start by seeing the fact that these daughters were a blessing of God to Job. We know that children are 
the gift of God. Psalm 127 talks about them being the heritage of the Lord. We understand what a blessing is. A blessing is, first of all, God speaking good of someone. And secondly, the idea of a blessing then is that something good is given to the one concerning whom God speaks that good. And so Job's blessing here is that God now is speaking good to Job. And God is giving Job something concretely as an expression of that goodness. And so the first aspect of that is described in verse 12. God gave Job now twice as many animals as previously he had. And you children can compare chapter 1 verse 3 with this here in chapter 12. God now gives Job, already back then he was the wealthiest man in the east, and now God gives him even more. God had given him seven sons and three daughters initially. Now God restores and replaces them with another three daughters and seven sons. This was a blessing for Job. Now immediately there are some who would say, we understand then that blessings are found in things. The Bible teaches clearly that blessings are not found in earthly possessions. Now it's true in the Old Testament, God gave pictures and God gave earthly possessions as a picture, a type of the spiritual blessings. But there's no support in this history, for instance, for this conclusion that the more one has, the more one is loved by God. And that's the health and wealth gospel that goes forth in our day. Teaching that we physically benefit from our relationship to Jesus Christ. And being members of Christ then, the more that we walk in love and faithfulness to God, the more we'll have earthly blessings. That's not the idea here. Now how can we prove that from the text? That the text is not speaking here merely about earthly things. First of all, the name of God that's used here in verse 12. We read, so the Lord. And notice the word Lord there is in all capitals. That's a reference to the fact that this is Jehovah. This is the covenant God. Now when Jehovah comes as the covenant God, he comes primarily to bless us spiritually. To give us the blessed assurance that he is with us, that nothing can separate us from his love, and that he will preserve and keep his own as those who he has established covenant with and with whom he will preserve and keep to all eternity. God's grace, God's favor, God's loving kindness is expressed in that name, Jehovah. And that grace of God was with Job. It was with Job throughout the whole of his trials. That grace of God upheld Job, and that grace of God was evident in that God pictures him again restored. He has children, he has physical possessions. But more specifically, God's covenant faithfulness is seen in the fact that God here gifts Job with these three daughters. And that's again what we want to look at more specifically. Every Christian man and woman must view daughters as a blessing from God. There's a temptation sometimes to think of sons more than daughters. Sons are the ones who are going to continue the family name. Sons perhaps will be able to take over the business and establish a greater degree of wealth and prosperity for the family. 
And so there can be a temptation sometime, in some societies especially, to favor sons over daughters. And that was the case during the time that Job lived. That attitude prevails through some societies. My wife and I spent time in Singapore reflecting the influence of China where that was very much the case. In China, baby girls were discarded. It was the boys that were preserved and kept. And that spirit also would have an impact to a degree within the church. Now, though we reject that idea, we need to be careful that that cultural understanding doesn't begin to impact us as well. So that as fathers, when our wife is expecting a baby, we desire it to be perhaps a son rather than a daughter. Maybe because we want to teach our sons the things that we know and the things that we enjoy and find it easier to do so than interacting perhaps with a daughter. A man in his weakness, even a woman, may put higher value on sons. But the Bible does not do so. And especially we have here this striking passage. We don't even know the name of the boys, but the daughter's names are given. And a significant aspect of the blessing to Job was the gift of these three daughters. So that children, not just sons, but daughters also, are in heritage, an inheritance of the Lord. And though it's true that the family name is not continued through the daughters, think about the important place that God gives to women within the church of Jesus Christ. An importance that is conveyed throughout the scriptures of the high calling the place that God gives women to bear and to raise the covenant seed of the church. Mothers in Zion, faithful daughters in Christ to encourage one another. And even where they themselves never become mothers, to be able to be used by God for the benefit and for the well-being of the church of Jesus Christ. As the older women and the younger women play such an important and crucial role within the church. But God's word comes powerfully to us this evening, reinforcing that truth. God's blessing is seen in our lives in the precious gift of daughters. And God's blessing is seen in the church in this precious gift of godly young women. Now we're not merely told that these are blessings of God to Job. God gives us here to understand that Job also received them as such. And we need to understand the difference. There are some parents who perhaps would not receive the children as blessings from God as they ought. Not only did God say to Job, these are blessings, but Job acknowledged that. And that's evident from the names that Job gave to his daughters. We know that names always have a significance in Bible times. And these names are no different. Now it's difficult with some of these names to come to a conclusive determination. For instance, especially the first one, Jemima. There's dispute over the meaning of this name. Some characterize it as dove, and that would point to beauty, to gentleness as a dove. Others find the meaning of this name, Jemima, day by day. And then stressing the idea of God's provision and God's care day by day for his children. Now, in order to settle decisively on one or the other is difficult. But I think it's not necessary or relevant to stress the point that we need to make. Regardless, that name describes the beauty, the gentleness, and 
the provision of Jehovah God in giving that child to Job. And Job acknowledged that with the name then that he provided, Jemima. Kezia is the second name. That's the word Cassie. And it means spice. It means anointing oil. And that was a reference to the oil that would be poured over the priest on the occasion of his being chosen and ordained into office. And so it's a sweet-smelling oil that was placed then to designate the wonder of that choice and that provision of that individual. The third name, Karen Hapuk, means literally horn of antinomy. Now, antinomy was a black product that was used for eyeshadow or for makeup. So a reference to a horn of substance that was used for the beautification of a young woman. Now, these names all say something then about the daughters. What is stressed and common throughout the names is the concept of beauty. Each of the names focuses on a beauty that was characteristic or which was evident of the daughters. But we don't stop there merely, as many of the commentaries are inclined to do. Remember, Job gave these names to these girls when they were just infants, as babies. They must have been beautiful in his eyes. But he could not have seen the beauty that would characterize them as they would grow up. And so why did Job give these specific names to these daughters? I believe we can point to especially two reasons. First of all, Job had endured a tremendous trial. And we're familiar with the struggle that Job endured throughout this book. He lost all of his possessions. He lost all of his children. Only his wife remained, and even she urged him to curse God and die. Remember the conflict and the struggle that Job had then with his so-called friends, who were no friends. They didn't come to provide godly encouragement. We heard Job accuse God. He complained that God was far away, that God wasn't hearing or answering his prayers. We noted that Job even accused God of treating him harshly. Later, Job was rebuked by that by Elihu, and later he repented of that, as we saw and read in this chapter. Now Job has been brought to understanding. Through the trial, through the affliction, he has been brought to see God's greatness, God's glory, and God has humbled him. And he realizes now how minor, how insignificant he and his cause were. He realizes that God has turned his captivity again, that his time of trouble is over. And evidence of this concrete wonder is the fact that Jehovah God restores to him sons and daughters. There are times when we go through severe trials in our lives, maybe an accident, a bout with cancer, some other great affliction. And God shows us that all the possessions, all the money, all the wealth that we own is meaningless. The honor doesn't mean anything. What's most important is the children that God is pleased to give, the spiritual treasures that we have. And that's what Job here acknowledges. He acknowledges the beauty of God and God's faithfulness in the naming of his daughters. But secondly, Job knows his sin. Jehovah stressed that Job was a sinner, and Job acknowledged that. He never denied his sinfulness. 
Now his friends were trying to make the accusation, it's because you're such a great sinner that God has turned his back on you. And Job insisted, no, that's not the case. God has not turned my back, his back on me. But Job confesses his sin. He acknowledges, I'm guilty. He knows that he has no claim to any blessing whatsoever. He doesn't deserve anything. And now he receives his daughters as a gift that he did not deserve. A gift of pure grace. Job realizes how undeserving he is, even more so than previously. And now, God's great goodness is reflected in the names then that he gives to his daughters. They reflect, first of all, the beauty of the Lord God upon him. Who is he that God's beauty and God's favor would be upon him? Job knew himself to be putrid like those sores that he was battling. And now he realizes God's goodness and God's mercy by which God looks upon him as a Jemima, that which is beautiful, that which is lovely, as a kezia, a fragrant spice. And this beauty is not just natural, it's a beauty that's added as that horn of makeup. So that Job gives these names as a reflection of his understanding of God's beauty and God's goodness in a spiritual sense. Covenant children are a blessing from God. We don't wait to confess that until they get older. We don't wait to see if they're going to be beautiful someday. Job puts his trust in God and in God's promises and Job gives his daughters names that reflect their beauty already at birth. Names that reflect godly living and godliness. Trusting God's covenant and God's faithfulness so to work in the heart and life of his daughters. We rejoice in the precious gift of children. And parents receive those children as from the Lord. Not just physical gifts, but spiritual treasures. Treasures that God is pleased to work His love and His devotion in. And so it is with Job. Parents realize that we don't deserve these children. We don't deserve to have this gift from God. And yet Jehovah God, in His love and in His favor, bestows them to us. And as they grow up, the beauty that we witness in them is something we can't take credit for. We praise God. We thank God for the wonder by which God is pleased to work that spiritual beauty in their hearts. And God's faithfulness and God's unmerited love is that on which we rely. The names then reflecting Job's understanding of God's covenant faithfulness and Job's understanding of the wonder of the love of God, that he now had a greater appreciation and treasure for. These daughters were known for their beauty. And as I stated again, that's striking. We read, in all the land were no women found as fair as the daughters of Job. Now, it's not as though there was a beauty contest among all the women, as occurred in the book of Esther, and that of all the women, the daughters of Job now stood above them all and were chosen as most beautiful. Nor is it merely recorded here that the people around stood in awe of these women and that as these women were seen in their communities, the communities 
acknowledge them as beautiful. No, what's striking is this. This is God's assessment. Jehovah God, himself looking down from heaven, draws attention to and underscores their beauty. We think here of what God did to the devil with regard to Job at the outset. God pointing out to the devil saying, look at Job. Is there any more faithful than my servant Job? Now we have Jehovah God, by inspiration, singling out these daughters and making this startling statement. In all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. Now why? Why especially when the Bible again teaches so clearly that we're not to put our stock in earthly beauty? We need to establish a couple of things here, beloved, from the outset. First of all, the Bible is not glorifying outward beauty here. We merely have a fact stated. And secondly, this is the way that God draws attention to his own work in these daughters. God is here exalting his work as he did with Job. God was not singling out Job in order to praise and to honor Job as a man, but God was demonstrating his work of grace, uniting Job to himself and challenging the devil that the devil might see that nobody could separate Job from him. And now singularly, similarly, God now is singling out these girls, drawing attention to his work of grace. The Old Testament in that regard is full of pictures. And those pictures are used to draw attention to the gospel. And so that's the important thing that we have to do here too. The Old Testament pictures direct us to the gospel. God was busy gathering his children, his church, from the line of continued generations. Now that covenant line was focused on Abraham during this time. But that doesn't mean that there were no other believers. And that's where the book of Job is important in that regard. God gives the book of Job along with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, in order to demonstrate there were other pockets of believers that were found throughout the world. And in order to draw the attention of the world around to the work of God, God draws attention to their beauty, the beauty of his people. The earthly beauty, when found in the children of God, is merely a reflection and a picture of their spiritual beauty. It's that which they acknowledge they owe to God. Now the application of this to believers, we would say, would be this. Not that we would say, God didn't make me as pretty as my sister, therefore God must love me less. That's not the idea at all. The blessings of God toward you and toward me are not measured by how fair, how handsome, how beautiful we are. The blessings of God are what make us beautiful. It's those blessings of God that bring out that beauty and that fairness. So that God makes his children to draw attention to the work of his grace. That grace that's present in their hearts. So that our children, as they interact in the world about us, are to stand out. And they stand out because of the beauty that God has worked within them. The truly beautiful women are in the church. Outside the church, 
There's no true beauty. Those that live for the world, that live for the things of the world, they're not beautiful. The beautiful young women and the beautiful and handsome young men are those in whose hearts Jehovah God is at work and whom God is performing his good pleasure. And that was evident here in Job's daughters. God was at work in their hearts. And God was performing a work so marvelous that those around noticed. They saw these girls were different. These girls stood out from the rest. And that was because of the work of Jehovah God in their hearts. So it is by God's grace in your lives as young godly women. What is the true beauty that marks the young woman in the church and makes that young woman stand out even in the world more fair than any in the land it's the beauty of Jesus Christ the fact that Jesus Christ is present by his spirit in them and that's the confession that Marissa and Megan made not only this evening but also before the consistory that they believe with all their heart that they belong to Jesus Christ they're not their own and that Jesus Christ lives within them by His Spirit. That's something no parent can work or accomplish. Jehovah God has set His beauty in them and in us by the wonder of His work in us. And that life of Jesus Christ, as it lives within us, causes sin to no longer have dominion over us. We still sin, as we noted this morning, but sin does not dominate. That which dominates is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And when there's evidence of forgiveness and repentance and true sorrow for sin, we're able to say, I see within me the beauty of Jehovah God. God is working that sorrow. God is working that repentance. God is working His grace in my heart so that the beauty of the grace of Jehovah is evident by that wonder work. Earthly beauty is not that in which there is any boasting. Nobody makes themselves beautiful. God's able to take outward beauty away quickly with the process of natural aging or other measures. God is able to cause that beautiful body, that beautiful face to be ravaged by disease or by accident. But that inner beauty of the heart, that can never be taken from you. And that's the point of the whole book of Job. The devil came against Job, and the devil thought that he could rob Job of the beauty by which he reflected Jehovah God. And God demonstrated, you can't. I have placed my spirit in Job, and I will preserve and I will keep Job. And Job now, reflecting that wonder, names his daughters, confident of that work of God's grace, not only in him, but also in in his offspring. Jehovah God has made my daughters beautiful and has given them a beauty that no one can take from them. My sins make them unworthy. I pass those sins to them. But Jehovah God is able to work a wonder of grace by which he restores his work and makes them beautiful in his sight. This, young women, is the beauty that you must display and show forth. We think of the references in the Bible. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel 
with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. The beauty of the women of God will show itself not chiefly and primarily in an outward way. The clothes of the godly woman will reflect true beauty in their modesty. Modest literally means to come down. The idea there is that the shorts aren't too short, the blouses aren't too, blou- aren't too short, the dress isn't too short. They come down and they cover. And in that regard, the godly woman acknowledges her beauty to be that which is within. The women of God experience what Adam and Eve did after the fall. They had to put on clothes and they covered themselves with fig leaves, acknowledging the reality of their sin and their desire then to show a beauty now that truly is spiritual. Timothy talks about shamefacedness and sobriety. Their expressions also of modesty. She's not seeking glory that directs, is directed toward herself. She's not seeking to attract men to her. She's seeking to attract others to God. That's her spirit. She lives in self-control. She's living herself for the glory of God. And her life is especially seen beautiful in the works that are evident in her walk, her good works. Every young man, every young woman seeks to show their spiritual beauty by living according to the glory of God. And that's the way of true beauty. First Peter 3 also expresses that in verses 3 and 4. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Now the idea there is not that God is forbidding braiding of the hair or wearing of jewelry. And that's obvious because they're in the same sentence as putting on of apparel. Obviously, God desires that the woman put on apparel and included would be that she also puts these other things on. But the idea is this. These must not be thought of as the essence of your beauty. Your beauty, again, is not outward. It's found in the hidden members. It's found in the wonder of God's goodness and mercy in Jesus Christ living in your heart and moving you to love him and to serve him and to seek his will in his way. Your spiritual attitude, your spirit, that's the most important thing. That you love God and that you live your life for Him and you're committed to serving others even as you have been served by Him. Now both of these passages are written in the context of God's word to wives, but they have application also to young women who are called to live as God commands. The world is not going to be impressed with your spiritual beauty. But God notices. And again, that's our text. God rejoicing in the work that He has done. That's what God is doing here with regard to these daughters of Job. God was at work in Job's life not only, but also that of his daughters. And God was using their outward and inner beauty as a means to draw attention to His work and to glorify Him. And God continues to do the same today. By our actions, by our conduct, others are drawn to see not how great we are, but the wonder of God's work of grace in and through us. 
in order that God be praised. Finally, note that these girls were included in the inheritance. and Their father gave them an inheritance among their brethren. That's another striking fact that Job designates to them the legal reception of his wealth. Ordinarily, the women in Canaan would not receive any inheritance at all. But here we read, they had an inheritance among their brethren. Later in the land of Canaan, we have that outstanding instant of the daughters of Zelophehad coming to Moses because their father had no sons. And their concern then is, what's going to happen with our inheritance? And that exception is made then as Moses consults with God. But ordinarily, again, the land and the possessions pointed to the eternal inheritance and that remained in the family through the sons. The daughters received it only through their husbands. Now, Job was not bound by that law. Job comes earlier than that history. But it's striking that already Job includes the daughters. And that points to the day when the pictures would be abolished and God would take all his children into the fullness of the everlasting life, regardless of earthly possessions. This idea of the possessions was a picture of how God would deal with his people in his covenant. And daughters now are also given a name and a place in God's covenant. Sons and daughters included as those who are recipients of God's covenant blessings. We think, for instance, of Galatians 3, verse 28, where in the context of justification and in the wonder of salvation, we read this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Our standing before God is not different if we're men or women. Not different if we're boys or girls. Job here is saying already to his daughters, I love you. Your father cherishes you. Your father holds you dear and you are the objects of my love. And the faith of their father, Job, is seen in them. They weren't just recipients of earthly wealth, but of the greatest wealth possible, the true heavenly inheritance that God gave Job through his Redeemer, whom he would see and which inheritance they would share as well. So that we have here in the book of Job a remarkable picture that displays that inclusion of the boys and the girls in the wonder of God's covenant. That was the case from the beginning, but circumcision was only applied to the boys for a time. Later on, God would change that and that baptism would be administered also to the daughters. But here already in the book of Job, we have that being displayed through Job and his understanding of God's covenant faithfulness as God's covenant included not just his sons but also his daughters. But beloved, we hear the gospel here to you and to me this evening. God has taken you and God has taken me and he's given us an inheritance through our eldest brother, Jesus Christ. One day we will experience the blessedness and the fullness of that inheritance. We are brothers and sisters together in Jesus Christ. We hear the love of our Father for us. The love of Jehovah God, our Father, saying, You are beautiful. I love you. Testifying, there is none as beautiful as these because they have the beauty of my grace. 
the grace of Jesus Christ living and dwelling within them. And I'm taking them to be with me in the fullness of that glorious inheritance where they will sit on my right hand, where they will rule with me, and they will experience all the blessings and treasures of that glorious kingdom life where they will obey perfectly and where they will be rewarded with the fullness of glory. I have given you a name and a place in my church and in my kingdom. This is the beautiful encouragement that we have. As parents, this is the beauty that we celebrate in our children. With Job, we lay hold on the covenant. With Job, we give our children names that reflect the wonder of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Believing that God is faithful to gather his children from among ours. And this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. As parents, we stand in awe. We can't work faith in the hearts of our children. And as we witness young women in the church committing themselves to the service of Jesus Christ, expressing their desire to live as members of Christ's church, we're humbled. And we acknowledge Jehovah God is pleased to give to us not only a name, but to our children. And we're not perfect sons and daughters. We've done nothing to make ourselves worthy. We're saved by grace. And that which is evident within us is the work of Jehovah God alone and the beauty of the Lord God. God's comforting word is spoken to you, it's spoken to me. That inheritance is sure. That inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. And it's sure because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. And he now dwells in you by his spirit to strengthen you and to encourage you in the full enjoyment of that glorious inheritance. Think of 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5. Talking about the glory of that inheritance, we read that God is keeping us and that It is sure that Christ will preserve and will prepare it for us. So that God is keeping us by the power of faith unto salvation in anticipation for the fullness of that glorious inheritance that Jesus Christ has earned on our behalf. And what's the beautiful encouragement then? It's the same that Job understood in his heart and which moved him to worship. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I will not lose that inheritance. That inheritance is not going to escape along the way. I will receive it. And why is it so sure? Because Christ died. And he made the perfect satisfaction that was necessary to perfect that promise. He satisfied the justice of God. And he now enjoys it in glory with all those whom he's already taken to be with himself. And the rest of the body is remain on earth for a time to display the beauty of his work, to show forth his praise as we keep our eye on that inheritance. Beloved, Job's daughters knew the love of their father and they lived in the hope of that reward. By God's grace, we know the love of our father and we live in the hope of that glorious reward. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for thy work of grace, for the beauty that thou art pleased to work in the hearts and lives of our children, our young people. As the devil does everything in his power to sow doubts and fears and temptations and to 
Drive them in the ways of filth and foolishness. Preserve and keep them. And grant them the grace by which they might know that nothing, nothing can separate them from the love that thou dost have for them in Jesus Christ. And that we might go forward as those who believe that we will be preserved in grace as thou wilt preserve all those whom thou hast chosen. And may we live then in hope and in the beauty of the Lord our God as that beauty is displayed in and through us. For Jesus' sake, amen.